to the Apostle Frederick Kaluluma podcast channel. Today, Apostle hosts a communion service. He preaches a sermon titled, This is the Hour. In this sermon, Apostle teaches and shows us from scripture how Jesus had gone through the very worst so that we may enjoy the very best. Participate, believe the word, and confess it as you listen to this. Grab your Bibles, your notepads, and your pens as we join Apostle Frederick from the City of the Lord Church in Lusaka, Zambia. Be blessed. Praise God. Now, how today's title came about, I was, uh, it came about in the early hours of Saturday morning. I was doing a lot of study of the word. I was, I, was, I was studying on the rapture. And so I dozed off while studying. I think that was at about midnight or zero one. And at three, I had a very strange experience. The wind was quite boisterous in Osaka that day, but it seemed, it seemed very boisterous in my room because the curtains were blowing away. And so I thought that perhaps I had forgotten. I thought that perhaps I had forgotten to close the window. And so I got up and went and found that the window was closed. But you know, the wind was blowing and my curtain had been blowing out. So I'm wondering what on earth is going on. And next thing, I begin to hear a voice say, this is the hour. This is the hour. I'm wondering, what hour? And then I was hearing a lot of noise in the kitchen and, you know, uh, somebody washing. And I walked to the kitchen and when I reached the door, I shouted, who are you? And there was no one. And... Uh, I checked every room. Everyone was where they were supposed to be. And I knew there was probably something that God was trying to say to me. Yeah. Um, I then took some time to pray. And the words kept ringing. That this is the hour. This is the hour. This is the hour. And this morning... I'm going to share a sermon entitled, This is the Hour. And we're going to start from showing one of the darkest hours, if not the darkest hour that has ever been on this world. And then we're going to look at the hour we're in. So we're going to go over to Luke chapter number 22 and verse 47. And... We're going to go all the way up to verse 54. This was the night that Jesus was arrested. I was about to say the night he died, but he didn't die at night. So this was the night he was arrested. This was probably the worst night of his life. You can imagine the torture. First, the agony. Remember Garden of Gethsemane? He, he did a prayer session where he was in agony. And so, in this scripture, he was speaking to his disciples. If you are to start from verse 46, you'll notice, I think he was telling them, saying, how come you guys couldn't pray with me for at least one hour? 
He said, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter temptation. The next verse. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? That's interesting because, uh, don't be quick. It's interesting because when, in those days, a kiss was an affectionate way of greeting. You, that's the way somebody would be greeting somebody who's affectionate to them. And Judas is going to the front to betray the Son of Man with a kiss. And Judas meant a lot to Jesus. Have you ever seen how angry Jesus was when he talked about Judas? Have you ever seen it? When, even just when he was praying. Um, have you observed, he goes like, everyone you gave me I've not lost except that one, son of perdition. You could, you could sense the emotion even in how he was talking. Some people think maybe Jesus didn't uh, love Judas. <laughs> um, that's not true. Praise God. Praise him one more time. So, I, I want to show you that Jesus actually was hurt by what Judas did. Uh, Psalm 41 verse 9. David speaking prophetically, look at what he says. He says, Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. He was prophetically speaking about Judas and Jesus. Because remember, David would switch. And he says, Even my own friend, whom I trusted, who ate my bread. What did, uh, when Jesus was asked who would, who, who would betray him, what did he say? He talked about the bread. Whom I trusted. He was the one who kept the money. Praise God. And he says, has lifted his heel against me. It was a hurtful moment. It was emotional. These are people you've taken care of. And one of them decides to do that to you. So it was hurtful. I, I just hope we, re, we, we know that Jesus did experience the emotional agony of it. Let's go back to Luke 22, verse 48. So he says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And verse 49, when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? If you read from another rendering, there was a guy who was given one. His name was Matthias. He was given one on the ear by Peter. Let's go on. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Uh-huh. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his, his ear and healed him. And the guy still didn't repent. Imagine, <laughs> someone has just cut off your right ear. Jesus says, permit even this. I don't know how he did it. Probably gets the ear, puts it back. And the guy continues. Amazing. Now, let's go on. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, have you come out as against the robber with swords and with clubs? Yes. 
when I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But look what he says. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. He said, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. That shows you something. Some people may have just seen chief priests and elders walking with clubs. But that's not, that's, that's not what happened. It wasn't just them physically. There was a spiritual entourage who came. It was the hour of the power of darkness. If you had to ask me, I believe that all the forces of evil joined that day. There was none left behind. And why did they do that? Because they thought they were getting rid of the Son of God. For Jesus, the Bible, for Judas, the Bible doesn't say a demon entered him. The Bible literally says Satan entered him. Literally, it says Satan entered him. He was possessed by Satan in that moment. The devil himself. So this was not a day for... It was a day when, if, 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 if at all they are there, all the marine spirits and uh, uh, monitoring spirits and all the various spirits that uh, people are always praying against, that's the day that they came. And what is it called? The power of darkness. So Jesus said, this is your hour and the power of darkness. It was their hour. It was their moment. Their moment to do whatever they wished. And he didn't stop them. He actually says it's permitted. He permitted the power of darkness in that moment to use these people to mishandle him. Jesus experienced his dark hour. And by hour, please don't look at it as 60 minutes. Jesus experienced his dark hour so that we could experience a bright hour. He experienced his darkest hour so that we could experience a certain hour that he promised. Praise God. So, I want us to get that straight. He says, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So, don't look at just the chief priests and all those guys. They, this was the day Satan had been planning for. He tried it with King Herod. He tried to use King Herod to kill Jesus. It didn't work. God didn't permit it. But this time, Jesus said, permit it. If you read from another rendering, you'll notice that he had told Peter that if I prayed, the Father would send 24th, what did he say? He said 12 legions of angels. That's 24,000 angels. I think just one angel could have taken out all those human beings. Why all those thousands? It wasn't just a physical battle. It was very spiritual. And he said, this is your hour and the power of darkness. I want you to imagine the Son of God giving himself to be mocked, to be beaten by the power of darkness. Literally. Because you know that in a battle against kingdoms, if you manage to grab a hold of the king, that's like the prized one. Those are the ones who they kill slowly. And he says, this is your hour and the power of darkness. Why did Jesus permit that? Because there was another hour he had promised. And that hour couldn't come without this hour. Can we go to the hour that he had promised? Then we'll come back to this one in my usual style. Let's go. John chapter number 4. And we're going to read from verse... Uh, let's read from verse 18. 
Jesus is at the well and he's talking to a woman and it would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, it would be it, it would be interesting if for those who like open the Bible and read any random verse as their verse of the day, if a person opened this and their verse of the day was, for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. <laughs> so Jesus prophesies to the woman. He tells her facts about herself. Next verse. And so she changes the topic, right? She says, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. You notice how the topic changed from husbands and marital counseling to verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place that we, where one ought to worship. And Jesus said something to her. He said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. Somebody say, I was going to say, say the hour is coming, but soon you'll discover it has come. But so for now, let's pretend we're in her days. Somebody say the hour is coming. So Jesus says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. Now, hold on. Someone may ask, what was so significant about this question? Why was this question so important? Here's why it was important. All these were coming out from Abraham. They all believed they were children of Abraham. Okay? But then, you'll notice that as time went by, God dealt with the Jews a certain way. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then God begins to establish a nation called Israel, and then God began to deal with the Jews a certain way. And one of the things that he showed them is that there was a specific place they were supposed to seek God, and that was by the temple that would be built in Jerusalem. That's why when another city would attack uh, Israel, the first thing they would go for is try and destroy the temple. Because if they've destroyed the temple, they've destroyed the heartbeat of Israel's life. Because that's where worship would take place from. And the biggest argument in that day, believe you me, was not an argument of gold or silver. The biggest argument in that day was an argument of worship. So these guys believe, no, 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 you can only really encounter God on the mountains. These guys believe, no, 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 you can only encounter God in Jerusalem. And then Jesus makes a promise. He says, the hour is coming. Because even in encountering God in Jerusalem, it's not like you could just walk in and enter the Holy of Holies and say, I enter the Holy of Holies, you'll die. You, you, you didn't have the right to do that. You had to be anointed to enter, and there had to be a specific time, and you had to follow a specific protocol. So you were really just there to watch. And hear rumors about it and kiss a stone outside. That's the furthest people could go. Some could enter the inner courts, but only specific people could go all the way. And so it, it has been an issue. From time immemorial, man has been trying to connect with God. So people have built shrines, people have built buildings, people have taken substances, people have applied oils, people have, have done all sorts of things trying to connect with God. But Jesus promised an hour which was coming, where a person wouldn't need to, to go on a mountain. Praise God for that. Neither would they need Jerusalem to worship the Father. 
Does the person want to go on a mountain? It's up to them. Maybe for purposes of, I don't know, maybe they want to isolate or something like that. That's really, really up to them. But the mountain was no longer going to be the place where somebody would seek God. Does a person want to go to Israel? It's up to them. Wonderful place. You can get to uh, see some of the beautiful sights and remember some of the things and, and the like. Does, does a person um, ideally become more spiritual because they've been to Israel? No. Otherwise, those who are in Israel would be the most spiritual people in the world. But that's not necessarily the case. I, I'm telling you, some of the worst sinners have been to Jerusalem. And some of the holiest people have never been. At the same time, some of the holiest people have been there. Personally, I would like to go there one day. But even if I never do, I praise God that there was an hour coming where Jerusalem wasn't the place of worship. Otherwise, what would happen now when there are restrictions on flights? It means you can't worship. It means I can have the same... Let's, let's, let's go on. Verse 22. And it says, you worship what you don't know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. So even worshiping what you don't know is going to come to an end. Let's go. But the hour is coming. And he said that now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For those other, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Father was seeking a certain kind of worshipper. Imagine don't all come, yeah, nah, nah, nah. There's a kind I'm looking for. There's a breed of worshippers I'm looking for. Those who worship in spirit and in truth. And in truth. And who demystify those statements. Verse 24. God is spirit. If you read from, I think, the King James, it says, God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That shows you something. God, who is a spirit, was longing for spirits. That's what he was longing for. He was longing to be connected on a spiritual perspective. Like forgetting the flesh, God was longing to, for, for people to connect with him from a spiritual perspective. He was looking for those who could connect with him that way. God is a spirit. He needed to connect with spirits. The Bible actually says he's the father of our spirits. Interesting, they didn't call him the father of our flesh. He calls him the father of our spirits. Praise God. So now, for this hour to be made available for us, Jesus had to experience the dark hour. Without the dark hour, we wouldn't have been able to experience the glorious hour. He had to experience the fullness of the dark hour. Why? Because if God was going to have us worship him in spirit and truth, then for starters, our spirit man needed to be regenerated because we were born with inherent sin. We were born with inherent sin. And the dominant side of our life was the flesh. So how were we going to connect to him? We were sinners. And the Bible says the hand of God is not too short to save. His ear is not too deaf to hear. But your sins have separated him from you. And you can find that in Isaiah chapter number 59 and verse 2. So you'll notice we were inherent 
sinners. We were sinners by nature, sinners by birth. And so, because of that, we were separated. So John 4 was not going to be possible if Jesus hadn't experienced the darkest hour. Now, let's go back to the darkest hour. Why did Jesus experience the darkest hour? I, wanna, I, I want to make known to you, ladies and gentlemen, that everything Jesus experienced was for our glory. Everything Jesus experienced was for our glory. I, I, I want you to see this. First Corinthians chapter number 2. Let's read from verse, uh, the, one, the one everyone loves, verse 4. I came to you, right? I think it's a very famous scripture, but I really wish, it's one of those which after you read, read the next verse. So it says, my speech and preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. And you know, sometimes someone will come and say, hey, it's not about preaching. It's not about many words. It's about demonstrating power. But the very next verse says something else. Look at what it says. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. After your faith has rested in the power of God, what next? Verse 6. How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Perfect means mature. That means that you go from, okay, you, you come here, take it, you fall down, and all that stuff. What next afterwards? The message of wisdom. The message of wisdom. So don't use that scripture to bring down the message of wisdom. It's, it's important. And for maturing, you need the message of wisdom. Okay, so it says that we speak the message of wisdom for those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Question is, which rulers is he talking about? Which rulers is he talking about? Give me Second Corinthians 4. And give me verse 2. Praise God. Praise him again. Here in Chronicles. Second Corinthians chapter number four. And we're gonna read verse let's read verse four. He says from verse three, maybe for context. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Uh -huh. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The God of this age has blinded their minds. So who are the rulers being spoken about? The rulers being spoken about here are not King Herod and Pilate. It's, remember when the captains and all those things came, what happened? The captains were there and there was also the power of darkness. It's those that we wage war against. No, let, let, let's look at it. Give me Ephesians chapter number 6. Give me verse uh, 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Uh-huh. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. They are actually rulers of darkness. And the world without Christ is in what? Darkness. And there's something that rules that darkness. And what's the only thing that can defeat darkness? Light. That's why Jesus says you are what? The light of the world. Hey. So which rulers of the age was he talking about? These same rulers of darkness. They are spirits that rule darkness. And they answer to a certain guy called Satan. So I want us to go back now to First uh, Corinthians chapter number 2. And I think we're, we're what? We're in verse 7, right? I want us to understand this. Remember, Jesus experienced the power of, he experienced the captains and all those coming and they came with the power of darkness. And it says, now is your hour and the power of darkness. So he says, we speak the wisdom of God. Go back to verse 6. We speak wisdom among those who mature, not the wisdom of the age, no, the wisdom of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Uh -huh. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. God ordained this wisdom for our glory. And look at the next verse. Which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Who is it talking about now? Is it really talking about the priests and the captains? Beyond that, no. It's talking about the powers of darkness that were influencing them. And it says none of them knew. So for them, that was the ultimate plan. They had been planning for thousands and thousands and thousands, if not millions of years. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. They had, they, had, they, had, they, had, I mean, they had been able to recognize that, hey, there's something God is trying to do here. They would inspire people to kill the prophets. We're like, guys, if we've killed the prophets, now we've got an opportunity. We can kill the son of God. Who can we target? Okay, let's target Judas. Why did they target Judas? Because Judas had uh, a weakness. What was his weakness? His weakness was money. The guy was a thief. He used to steal. So now this was the ultimate steal. For 30 pieces of silver, he betrayed the Son of God. And they were thinking, this is the ultimate plan. This is what we've been training for. I'm sure before coming, they even had this speech. Hey, guys, this is what we've been training for. No retreat, no surrender. Even if the angels come, do this, this. And they were just shocked to see all the angels standing. I can imagine, because the Bible tells us that the angels also didn't. No. Are you aware? <laughs> Are we enjoying the Bible today? My audience in the studio, are you enjoying the Bible today? You are, eh? Oh, somebody say glory. I just really, you know, I, I, I just want us to have, I, I just want us to have a greater picture in this. I think one of my assignments in life is to paint pictures. It's unfortunate I can't draw, so I paint pictures with my words and with my stories. And so I'm, I'm just painting a picture. Let me, let me give you 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 to 12, and we'll focus on verse 12. The Bible says, 
of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you? Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Can you imagine? The prophets prophesied, they inquired, they searched, and they prophesied of the grace that would come to me and to you. Uh-huh. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. You see that? The suffering was for the sake of the glories. Let's go on. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So, you know, my, my imaginative mind, I'm just thinking, the powers of darkness have come, all those guys are there, and then the angels are like, hey, they want to touch the Son of God. I'm thinking like, all these angels like ready on alert, and probably Michael just tells them, you know, the boss has said no. Are you kidding me? It was hidden. And so Satan thinks they've gotten one over us. And they say, let's, let, 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 let's show them. And so the darkest hour in Jesus' life is experienced. He is mistreated in front of Caiaphas the priest. And as he's being mistreated, signs are being fulfilled. The high priest doesn't know what he's doing because when Jesus was asked, are you the son of God? And when he said, I am, the high priest tore his robes. Neither did he know that by tearing his robes, that was a prophetic sign. He was trying to say, you're the high priest now, not me. his robes. And he also forgot that earlier he had prophesied that it's better for one man to die than a whole nation to perish. Next thing they know, they put a crown of thorns on him. I've just thought about it now. The thorns. You know the thorns were a curse. Do you remember? God cursed and said, he told Adam, the ground is cursed for your sake. It will not produce thorns and thistles for you to work. And they put a crown of thorns on I just thought about that. And he's taken before the Gentiles. The biggest empire among the Gentiles, the Roman Empire. And then delegated authority to crucify him. And for the sake of the Jews, they did it. Not knowing that by going before Pilate, they were giving him permission to also die for the Gentiles. Put a robe on him. A purple one. Tormented him. They said, physician, heal yourself. They would hit him and then say, who, who hit you? Prophesy. And these were people he could have eliminated with a snap of a finger. Like, had it been here, I just said, ah, I am Jesus! And then, Taking them on one by one. Yeah, banda. And the Bible says he was like a lamb being led to slaughter. He was quiet. Why? It was the ultimate plan. 
to get back what man lost. What did man lose? Man gave it away. Okay? And so the only way for man now to be perfect is man had he had to become the Lamb of God. He had to die for what he had to die for what Adam did. And so he's taken all the way to the cross, he's tormented and all those things. He sheds blood everywhere. At one point, and this part always touches me, there's a gentleman that was forced to carry the cross. I don't know if that gentleman knows how special that moment was. I don't think he knew what he was doing. Do you remember? There was a gentleman who was forced. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, that gentleman was African. And he was forced to carry the cross. Sometimes I feel like that's what has happened. Some people believe the gospel was forced on us. Well, we took it. <laughs> and now we're taking him back everywhere. That gentleman was forced. Little did he know. Imagine, he's the only one who got to help the Son of God. And he's taken to that ultimate moment. And for the first time, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God couldn't look at him now. Now he, he had carried all the filth of the world. He had carried all the sin of the world. Most of his disciples were not there. John was there. Though. The women somehow never left. <laughs> Interesting, the Bible says the women never left. They were there. They were watching. The guys had fled. <sighs> And he is crucified in the middle of two thieves. And one of them says, Hey, you, why can't you just help, help yourself out of here? If you're really as powerful, get us all out of here. Then the other one rebukes him and says, you, you and I are here because we did wrong things. This man is innocent. And he turns to him and, and he says, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus still had time to say, you will be with me in paradise. Interestingly, he didn't say heaven. That's a teaching for another day. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And Jesus breathes his last. He said, it is finished. It is finished. And then, he dies, and when they come and put a spear, water and blood come out. And that's symbolic of giving birth. And what was he birthing? The church. And when he died, multiple things happened. Firstly, there was darkness at 15 hours. There was darkness. There was an earthquake. The ground began to shake. The ground was like, eh, I'm testing. The ground couldn't stand the fact that it was testing the blood of the Son of God. It began to shake. And then in the temple, the veil was torn. In case you didn't know, this veil was so thick, it needed 300 people this side, 300 people this side. And if you were to study Jewish history, it was a rule that if the veil is ever torn, it means God's presence has left the temple. So the veil was torn. It showed God's presence left. So that veil, which blocked people, from seeing who God was, was torn. And God's presence was going to reside somewhere else. 
on that cross, Jesus tortured the powers of darkness. I, 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 if, if Jesus is as humorous as me, I can imagine he gave them like a second to celebrate. So in hell, you know, there was, there was a celebration party, they were singing songs, and uh, as far as I was concerned, they had gotten rid of him, and everyone was just dancing, even demons that hated each other were, you know, going around and around. And then suddenly, it was dark for a while, and then boom, light. And then, you know, and, and, and then maybe a voice shouted, you honestly thought you could get rid of me. And get, they looked around, no angels. He didn't need backup on his own. He went, and if you read in Colossians 2, and you read verse, uh, give me verse uh, 15, look at what happened. On his own, he disarmed principalities and powers. Those same powers of darkness that came, he was like, okay, disarm them. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Give me from the Amplified. From the Amplified, it said, he disarmed the principalities and powers that were arranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in it. There are other versions which show it to be like a, you know how a public spectacle was in those days? If you go and conquer another kingdom, you grab the king and you go through the streets and you go like, is this your king? Is this really your king? So it's like, you are showing everyone. And I believe that's what he did. He grabs the hold of Satan and says, Aka. And, and you know something? The day Satan is made manifest to the world, you'll be shocked. We are told, is it in Isaiah or Ezekiel? We are told that when people see him, they'll be like, is this the one that made the nation suffer? When believers realize how much authority they had, they'll be like, is this the one we're fearing? And so he makes a public spectacle. He triumphed them. God disarmed them. That's why right now, for Satan to have a hold over you, he really needs your permission. That's why he influences you with thoughts. He wants you to speak. He wants you to arm him with your words. He disarmed them. That's why they try to do all these sacrifices and the like. They manipulate the power in the, in the moon, manipulate the power in blood, manipulate the power in work, because that's all they are left with. They can only manipulate things to try and generate power. Okay, they'll try to influence people to abort. They'll try to influence people to do those things. What are they doing? They're just trying to generate power. Because there's God put power in everything. Disarm them, triumphing over them at the cross. That's why we are told none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would have not have crucified him. They would have left him alone. They would have left him. It says they would have not crucified him had they known. Had they known that he was doing something. Now, why do we say it was for our glory? Why was Jesus suffering and dying? And let's not forget, he didn't just die. He resurrected. Why was it for our glory? Why was it for our glory? Romans chapter number 6. Oh, Romans 6. And give me from verse 1, 2, 3, and then we'll read verse 4. Are you enjoying this? 
what shall we say to all to all this? You can give me in the New King James. Are we to sin in order that God's shall we continue to sin that God's grace may abound? Certainly not. Uh-huh. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, wait there, who are actually baptized into his death? What does that mean? Our old man died with him. All the curses that the old man had died with him. All the punishment, the chastisement of our peace <laughs> was upon him. The punishment we deserved, it went with him. The sicknesses went, they died with him. Let's go on. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. I, I made a comment on this because scripturally the Bible says, unless a seed dies and is buried, it will not resurrect into something glorious. So as we are buried with him, we were sown as a seed in the ground. And guess what happened? We were resurrected as a new creation. So when he died, our old man of sin died with him. The old, man that the old man that separated us from God. The old man with which we needed specific places to be able to meet God. That one died. When he was buried, our old man was buried, never to be brought back. Just like a seed planted in the ground. Now verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through the baptism into death that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in the newness of life. So, why? Look at this. When he resurrected, we became a new creation. Our spirit man was birthed by the Holy Spirit. Our, we were birthed by the Spirit of God. It's very clear biblically that what God is the Father of is our spirits. I can show you. 1 Peter 1 verse 12. I cannot 1 Peter 1 verse 12. Um, it should be Hebrews 12 verse 9. Hebrews 12 verse 9. The Bible says, The Bible says, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits? and live. John chapter number 3 verse 6. Jesus explaining being born again says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. What was God seeking for? True worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Because God is a spirit. So a spirit will give birth to a spirit. He just wanted those of his own kind. I can imagine Adam saying, okay, lions, you're okay. Okay, uh, cheetahs, you're okay. Cats, you're... Yeah, and then um, koala bears, you're adorable. And, and all those things. And hyenas, not necessarily. But all I know is I can imagine Adam looking, but he's saying, ah, as good as you are, I want something of my own kind. I want, I want someone that resembles me. I want someone that's like me. And when he saw the woman, he says, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. That's the same thing. God was seeking. He was looking. He was like, okay, yes, praise God. Yeah, you're bringing the lambs. And the lambs are purging your sins. And you know, we can interact at a certain level. But I'm looking for a city. Hey, Kariana Santo. Of, 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 I'm, I'm looking for living stones. Do you remember when John the Baptist prophesied? 
It said God is able to raise children of Abraham from these stones. What are we now? The Bible says we are living stones. <laughs> he was searching. God, God wants this so much. If you've read the book of Revelation, he's going to shift. The Bible will say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is now with man. It says, I saw a city descending from heaven, shifting residence just to be with man. That's how much he's always wanted man. So as much as we think we were the ones seeking, he was seeking for us even more. He was seeking for a temple. The Bible says in, he is not delighted in human temples. In animals and sacrifices, you found no delight. That's what the Bible says as well. So there was something he was searching for. He was searching for spirits. He wanted his own kind. And that which is one of the flesh is flesh, that which is one of the spirit is spirit. And the only way this was going to happen is Jesus had to experience his darkest hour. Our old man had to be crucified. Then he had to be buried. Then he had to resurrect. And by resurrecting, he was producing new creations, new creatures. Praise God. I resurrected. He was producing new creatures. And these new creatures are spirit. Let me tell you something else about these new creatures. Suddenly, when he resurrected, we became a new creation. Our spirits were birthed by the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit now lives in our inner man. What's our inner man? Our spirit. The Holy Spirit now lives in our inner man. What made those building temples? Those buildings were temples because the Holy Spirit was residing in them. So the Holy Spirit now lives in our inner man. Can we prove that from Scripture? It's very scriptural, not so. That should be what? Ephesians. Chapter number three. Should be verse 16. If I remember my Bible work, which I usually do. That he would grant unto you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit where in the inner man. So if the Holy Spirit is in an inner man, then what does the outer part become? A temple. Because what defines something as a temple is where the Holy Ghost had residence. No wonder now he could say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, now he could say, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God. You're not of your own. What makes your body a temple? The fact that the Holy Spirit is in you. What was the temple for? It was for worship. So now we can go back to John 4. Verse 23. He said, The hour is coming, and now is, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. I would like to make one or two more comments. We have the privilege, the honor, to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's the way he wants. Worshiping him in spirit is the way he wants. Worshiping him in spirit goes beyond attitude. Worshiping him in spirit begins with our nature. The fact that our nature is that of spirit means we can, can, we can actually worship him with our spirit. We can worship him the way he wants. What has he always wanted? spirit. So he says, this is better than going to Jerusalem. 
this is better than going on the top of a mountain if you can just connect with me. It's the easiest way. Now, by doing this, I want you to answer, I want you to hear this. What hour are we in? We are in the hour of true worshippers. And there's a comment I wanted to make on this, which just <laughs> when you look at Isaiah 53, it shows you why Jesus suffered everything he suffered. Give me verse 8. Isaiah 53, verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who would declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Uh -huh. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. By the way, give me from the NLT. I want to show you what that means with the rich at his death. He had done no wrong. Come on, you're going to see this as prophecy. He had done no wrong and never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Come on, don't you remember? He didn't die in his own grave. So he wasn't put in his own grave. Do you remember that there was a man, a wealthy, influential man, who came and asked for his body? Oh, the Bible is amazing. <laughs> Verse 10. You can go back to checking this. But it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Give him from the NLT. Let us see this. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. Satan was feeding into God's plan and cause him grief. Why? Yet when his life is made an offering, he will have many descendants and he will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. The word I wanted us to see there was many descendants. Next verse, you'll see this soon. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, now he's talking about Jesus, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience or his knowledge, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he shall bear all their sins. I want you to imagine when Jesus was talking to the woman, he knew what he had to go through to make her a true worshiper. And he's saying, don't worry, your time is coming. He knew. But look at what it says. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, what was going to be accomplished by his anguish? Man was going to be reconciled to God. Why was that important to him? Because speaking prophetically about him, calling him wisdom, in Proverbs 8, verse 31, from the New King James, even from verse 29, it talks about Jesus as wisdom. Give me from verse 28. Wisdom is talking, he said, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, this is wisdom, who is Jesus. Uh -huh. When he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. Uh -huh. Then I was beside him as a master craftsman. What does the Bible say? Through him were all things made, and without him was nothing made which was made. So Jesus was a master craftsman. But look at that. And I was daily his delight. Rejoicing always before him. God. Rejoicing in his inhabited world. And what was Jesus' delight? And my delight was with the sons of men. So it satisfies Jesus when he sees the sons of men being able to connect with the God 
he loves. It's, it brings him satisfaction. The, the reward for his labor. Go back to Isaiah 53. Go back to verse 10. We'll have the NIV if we have it. It was God's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. Give me the next verse. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. What's the reward of the anguish of Jesus? It's when you and I lift our hands and say, Father, we love you. And we have direct access to him. For him, that's his reward. That's why he told his disciples, in that day, you won't even need me to ask him for you. You will go to him directly. His delight has always been in the sons of men. So he decided to suffer. So he could establish a new hour. An hour of true worshipers. Saints of the living God, it may seem as if darkness has covered the earth, but we are not in the hour of darkness. We are not in the hour of darkness. I can show you from Isaiah 60, even in New King James, and from verse 1. I'll show you the hour we are in. The Bible says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen on you. And then we are told what will happen. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen on you. We're in the hour of light. We're in the hour of God's glory shining. We're in the hour of true worshipers. On this Passover, I thought it best that I show you what Jesus went through so that we could be true worshipers. And I want you to make your decision that you will give Jesus the reward of his labor. What's the reward of his labor? One, that you give your life to Christ. Two, that we service the Father's heart with our worship and our praises. If you're watching me and you've not given your life to Jesus, or you've been living in sin, maybe you've backslidden, I want you to take this moment seriously. Let's give the Son of God the reward for his name. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. I want you to say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross. And now today I give my life to you. I'm a child of God. And I'm born again. I want you to contact us. Now, for everyone else on this special, we'll take the communion shortly. The communion can start being prepared. We'll take the communion shortly. Thank you. Lay aside your majesty. Give up everything for me. Suffered at the hands of those you had created. You took all my guilt and shame when you died and rose again. Now today you reign and heaven and earth exhort you. You laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me, suffered at the hands of 
because you had created beautiful my healed and shame when you died and rose again now today you reign and heaven and earth exalt you i really want to worship you my lord you've won my heart and i am I say that you're blessed. In the name of Jesus, I say that all is well with you. I declare all is well with your family. All is well with your finances. All is well with your mind. All is well with your heart. All is well with you. God bless you all. And remember to join us on Wednesday 
And for those who are at the City of the Lord Church, remember we're having seven days of intense prayer. You can get the details. Uh, you can get the details from the main platforms or, 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 or groups. Just ask if you don't know about it. Otherwise, God bless you and I love you all. Bye. a service. I've been so blessed and I know you have been too. Now, wherever you are listening from, we would like to hear from you. Get in touch with us. You can reach the City of the Lord Church on 0953756076 or 0977474679. If you are unable to call us, you can email us on the city of the Lord Zambia at gmail.com or reach us on the Facebook page at the city of the Lord Church. Stay blessed.